So I want to welcome everybody um, to episode three of the podcast, um, A Burning Desire for the Mat. Not Matt Burn. That's a different thing that happens when you're wrestling. So I decided to look at um, the history of athletics as it applies to the Bible. And it's a rich, rich history. Um, Paul uh, shadow boxed in Genesis. We see that um, Jacob wrestled um, with a man who was God and got his hip broken because God pretty much wins. Um, Paul also shadow boxed. Um, there's a lot of times where they talk about endurance and strength and running races and how, um, we have to run the race towards everything that God wants for us, no matter who comes with us or who doesn't, no matter what the cost is. Um, so my life when I went to Addison was a lot of work. From physical therapy to occupational therapy to learn life skills. Things that a lot of people take advantage of. Like, it was hard for me to tie my shoes at first. Or button buttons. Or carry my book bag and all my books and everything without falling by myself. Uh to do some of my own schoolwork without the help of an aide. So everything up until the time that I was about 14 was about becoming, quote-unquote, like an able-bodied student. And I hate that word, but that's the only one I could think to use right now. And um, But I, I always wanted to be an athletics um, I figured usually baseball, but I also, you know, really loved wrestling, like the WWE stuff. Um, and I grew up in the 90s where that had gained popularity and it was, uh, you know, it gained a lot of popularity. In sixth grade, I learned about Olympic wrestlers and. That is the same amount of time you had Greece and everything going on there um, as some of the Bible times. And so, you know, you still had those competitions going on. And that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about Olympics and races and things of that sort. So there was a rich history of wrestling at the Olympics. Um, I can remember I was looking at a world book and in that book was a pot and it depicted wrestling in the you know the Parthenon the the Greek times and I thought you know there's a rich history of wrestling and I'm 13 14 years old and a 
woodshop teacher, Mr. Odekirk, puts it in my head. He goes, you know, you're really strong. I've got a really good upper body. Why don't you wrestle? And I had this birthing inside my heart that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to wrestle. If Mr. Odekirk, if Odie thought I could do it, I could do anything. You know, and with his endorsement, I went and I talked to a person who did um, physical therapy and we went to a practice. We went to a couple practices, my mom and this person. And this is where I began to know God is a redeemer. And let me explain more about that. So we go to a couple practices and I go through all the protocols. I get the physical and all the things. And so I'm on the cusp of being able to wrestle for Addison, which, you know, I'm starting to love the idea. And I'm telling Mrs. Cronk, who was my aide at the time, I'm telling her, you know, this is going to be great. She thinks it's going to be great for me. And finally we get in the room. It's about six o'clock and I'm watching. I'm getting all excited. and The hair is standing up in the back of my neck and you know, I, I can't wait to get out there. I'm almost chomping at the bed or foaming at the mouth, whatever you axiom you want to use. And the lady sits me down and she says, we don't think you can wrestle. And then she tries to make it sound really good. She says, you can like be like maybe the equipment manager will get you a shirt Um you know, but you won't be wrestling for the team. We think there's liability issues. We think it's too dangerous, you know. And and I start to get a little angry, but I'm silent. It's that silent kind of anger where you're so angry that you can't speak. And my mom goes, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. So I, so I get in the car and here I've, you know, I've worked my whole life, done everything that everybody wanted me to do to try to, quote-unquote, be able-bodied and walk like a, quote-unquote, normal person, which I don't really know what normal is. But I guess there's a there's a standard and there's some testing and there's a bunch of malarkey about that. So, um, so I get in the car and I, I'm silent. Um for a long time and then I just this anger comes out and I begin to cry and and I've got this this pin-up aggression almost almost like a controlled rage and I begin to hit the car and my mom goes what's wrong with you Christopher talk to me you're not talking what's wrong and I start hitting the car and I I grab for the car door in in a moment of you know I I think I'd reached my breaking point I grab for the car door and I open it you know and, and the car is going down the highway it's you know we're going you know 30 40 miles an hour and I can see the road and the lines and and I contemplate jumping out of the car and my mom pulls me back in and she says son what are you doing and I said if this is the life that 
they want me to live where I'm just denied everything that every other person, every other able-bodied person gets to do. I don't want to live. I don't want to be here on this planet doing that. I don't want um, other people's standards to set up my life. I want to set my own standards. And, you know, that was where limitless motivation, that's where this podcast comes in. Don't ever let somebody, you know, tell you what you're capable of because all that is is an assessment. All that is is a probability. All that is 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 numbers and facts and they don't they don't give much account for heart and determination and will. And so my mom pulls me back in and she goes, "You're crazy." But I think I wasn't crazy. I was just passionate. So passionate about being denied this thing that I told myself I was never going to be denied it. And for the first time ever in my life, I can remember the small, still voice, the voice of the Lord. And he said, son, you're not done. You're not done with this yet. And so I I put that dream, I put that dream away. um, And I didn't recognize it as the voice of the Lord. I do now. But when God says you're not done, you're not done. So learn to recognize that small, still voice, um, that inner voice, the Lord's voice and the Lord's leading. So I put that away, and a year later, um, I was going um, to have a surgery, Um And it was a horrible surgery. It was pins being put in my hips. And because they weren't quite fused together. So I did this thing called a Gates analysis up in um, Shriner, Pennsylvania. And at the Children's Hospital. Great, wonderful place. Uh, everything is free if you can't afford it. Um, and you meet the qualifications. If you have a handicapped daughter or son or friend or friend of a friend. Um, They also tend to burn victims. Um, A wonderful, wonderful place, and I would not be um, anywhere without them, so shouts out to them. Shriners is great. So I did this thing called the Gates Analysis. So they strip you down to your skibbies, to the undies, and they put all these little electrodes on you with tape, And they look like little rubber balls. And what you do is you walk. um, And they they take a composite uh, lion sketch, almost like being in a video game. That same kind of 2D image of how you walk. And then they assess that with what they think perfect posture is. And then they came up with Chris needs a surgery. Well, this was a biggie. Um, such a big surgery that they said, well, just in case, you know, you don't make it out of this and you start to bleed to death, we're going to have your aunt give you blood, um, transfusion again, God's provision. So I go in and have the surgery, 
What you have to understand is that my legs are not used to going out straight. Sometimes when you have a surgery and there's something new introduced to the body and I have titanium pins in both my hips, um, which makes my hips a little tight now, but the titanium pins hold it in place. But when you introduce something foreign to the body, you can have something called phantom pain. Um, in the Civil War or, or during a time where there wasn't a lot of modern medicine, you would have phantom pain. And that's where the the nerves and stuff, like if you lose a leg, the nerves and stuff still think that there's a leg there until the brain and body realize that it's not. It's almost like the, the brain has to catch up to the body. And so my legs are not used to going out straight. Um, but I was on morphine, which means this surgery hurt extremely bad. I'm, I'm 12 years old on morphine. And I'm feeling good until the morphine starts to wear off. And then the legs start killing me. And the legs start aching. Um, and uh, it was quite painful. And you would just pretty much have enough time for sleep. When I was awake, uh, because of the phantom pains, my legs would shoot up six or seven inches in the air and fall back down in the bed. Mind you, not carefully, but my legs were basically like having like tremors, like seizures. The sucky part about that was is I had dressings that were open, open wounds. I have two um, about seven inch gashes that run straight down my legs to the hip, from the hip down... Um, the side of my leg they're about six seven inches long and they'll always be there and that is from that surgery um it did get me on my feet it did do a lot of good things but all of the surgeries all the you know the the man hours with with um with going to therapy and stuff and i'm i'm denied one thing for myself um, wrestling, and you've got to be pretty strong to go through all that rigmarole um, that everybody else wanted me to do, and then I'm denied a chance to wrestle, and I just thought it was unacceptable. Um, but God told me I wasn't done. Um, he would do something else. Um, the Bible says, you know, when when you come to know the Lord, behold, I will do a new thing. And I will show you great and wonderful things that you don't already know. But he doesn't say when, and he doesn't say how, and he doesn't say how many times he's going to test your metal. Um, no metal in my legs, pun intended. So um, I had a therapist as well. Her name was Jean Ayako. She was beautiful and wonderful and had a beautiful heart and a beautiful spirit. And... Um, is the type of woman that I want to find in my wife someday. Um, and she knew how to push me, and she was a friend, and she knew how to push me in all the right ways, and she knew how to back off the gas pedal. Well, when I was about 13, uh, 14 years old, um, my wonderful friend 
um, who, who I want to honor in this podcast. Um, she got uh, cancer, and I didn't know it. She hid it from me, and she kept going with me and, and fighting with me to help me walk, and there's no doubt in my mind that if she was still here, I'd probably be walking because she was so courageous, and I think it made me courageous and brought the best out in me. Um, even this podcast is is doing large part to her because she said you got to do something with your mouth because you never stop talking. <laughs> um, but she got cancer, and for a long time we didn't know. All I knew is that I was seeing different therapists all the while, and um, she would come, and the usually vibrant, amazing woman that I knew was getting more tired and more tired. And we finally found out that she had cancer. But I thought that she was going to beat it. Um, I didn't think it was God's love at the time. But I went um, to what used to be the old Corning Hospital therapy wing. Um, I think it's like CAT scans now. It's something completely different. It might not even be there. Um, because it's not even in the same location, so it's not there. But um, I went there and was doing some therapy stuff, and I seen her, and they were wheeling her out, and she was in a wheelchair, and she was frail, and you could tell the cancer had taken some of its toll, and she had lost some of her hair and she looked weak and but still that same spirit she had she had eyes that could light up a room and they just really shined there was a magic a light about everybody that knew genie that was her nickname and she said i've heard that you haven't been given those therapy people what you've been giving me she said I don't want you to quit she said you promised me in life that you never quit and you never stop trying she said I'm going to come back and if I find out that you're quitting on yourself and other people we're going to have words and I'm going to kick your butt but part of me quit because I missed her I missed my friend. I missed that driving force. I missed her light. She truly was an angel on earth. And I didn't know it at the time. But God was allowing me to see my friend one last time. Um, we would move the next year. Eighth grade. But in my... In that year, the summer before, my mom called me in and she said, Chris, um, I have something to tell you. And I thought, well, she's, she knows my goofy self has been swearing. She sat me down. She said, honey, um, Jean died today. She's with the Lord. 
and and I just remember going stone silent. I don't even really remember being angry. And then just all this anger came out and I cried and I got upset and I pushed my mother away. I wouldn't let her hold me. And I, I just, I hit the counter and I was just so upset. And I was like, why would God take her? I thought she was going to make it through this. You know, she was a fighter. And 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 for a minute, for 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 a while, I was a little upset with God for about six months because I just didn't understand. This had been the first time anybody that um, I was close to had passed away, and so you know, you're 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 a thirteen, fourteen year old kid, and you've been through all these other tra- uh, transforming experiences but not this one and so I was really at my lowest point or one of my lowest points in life and I had to later on apologize to God but what God gave me after I went to Wellsboro and was friends with the preacher's son his name was Abram Dennis and he introduced me to some of the football players and the wrestlers and all this and he said why don't you play football I said because I'm 105 pounds he said boy you you look a lot bigger I was like well it's this it's the sticks it's the crutches but you know if you put me you know on that line um their strength plus their speed and power makes Chris go splat and he said okay I hear you but he said why don't you wrestle and there was that, there was that, um, that driving force again. Um, Paul talks about shadow boxing, boxing with purpose, boxing to keep in good shape, to run his race. You know, Paul was a fighter, and and I heard that voice. Why don't you fight again? Why don't you wrestle? And part of me really, really wanted to. I got excited, and then I remembered that um, physical therapist that didn't think I could hack it, didn't think I could do it. And I almost stayed small. Almost. I almost stayed small. But I felt this calm come over me, this, this patience, which could probably only be the Lord's hand on my life. And it was almost like now is the time. Like if you put the work in... It'll come. But I never forgot that. And I, I sat there with the coaches, and they all agreed. And they said, well, watch out for him. Um, and I began my journey. And the joke with wrestlers is such a daunting and physically demanding sport. And it demands you know, that you keep yourself in good shape. And it demands that you watch what you eat. And it demands your schedule. You, you almost have to be crazy to like it. Um, my mom didn't like it at first, but she became a wrestling mom and I became a wrestler. But I told myself, I have to earn these gentlemen and these ladies respect because there's a lot of female wrestlers now. I have to earn their respect on the mat. I have to earn my place. I have to show up and do the two-a-days and be good at academia and I have to do this. And nothing is ever going to break me. Like, I couldn't run, so you know what I did? I did push-ups. 
to keep cardio and to keep in good shape. And I did so much cardio. And then you wrestle live for an hour, you know, on and off in three or four minute intervals. And, and it puts you in a, in a different class. It's something all its own. It's its own entity. <laughs> um, one of the jokes, um, with, with wrestling is that it's the only sport that um, really requires you to gut it out. And it really is. And, you know, I, I wrestled in Pennsylvania, which has a rich history in wrestling. But that was God's redeeming. So that's how I know God. I know Jesus as a redeemer. So tell me I can't do something. Or tell me that that's impossible. Tell me that, you know, I can't start that business or can't do that thing. And and I want you guys, anybody that's listening, to tap into that. Nothing is impossible. The only thing that's stopping you is that small, still voice that goes, the addiction's too much, or I can't do this, or God would never help me through this, or... Everybody else has given up on me, so I'm going to give up on that person or that relationship before it starts, or I'm going to just give, you know, the 25%, and maybe that other person will give the 75%. No, you give you give the 110 because you're responsible for that. You go above and beyond, and then other people, the right people that come into your life at the right time, will meet your resolve, and God will send those people. See, timing is everything. And I needed wrestling. Um, at that time, there was also some other tumultuous things going on. But I feel like God redeemed me. Like he, he gave me that as an outlet, as a place where I could shine, as a place where I could show others. Um, I'll always remember um, I, I had gained so much respect that one of my friends... Uh, sisters, who was in her twenties at the time, she was, she was beautiful, she was gorgeous. Um, but she used to help me out on the mat, and for a while, you know, I, I told the coach, I think she just does it to because she feels sorry for me. He goes, No, son, she does it because she respects you. And just a word of advice, he said, if the beautiful college-age woman wants to help you letter any kind of smirk and that was the first time where I got respect um based on something I'd done based on my own merit but I I I grew a little bit in faith um from God I mean it's a living testament story of you're not who everybody else says you are you're who God says you are um, I took a bone density test at Wellsboro, and they said it's up to you if you want to wrestle, but you're 50% more likely to break a bone than somebody who um, is quote-unquote able-bodied. I've never broken a bone. I have, I've wrestled. I've done a lot of other physical things um, in my lifetime. I've worked out my whole life, never broken a bone. Um, so, again, God's provision. Um but run your race, play your sport, um, give everything you have with purpose. 
And if for a season you're taken out of your sport, if for a season you're injured, if for a season life just kicks you right in the teeth, you get back up, you get back up from that knockdown, you get back up from being pinned to the mat, you get back up from um, having to sit on the sidelines, and you run your race again. You try harder in the next season because you remember how much it sucked and how much it was unfair and how much it bit the bullet for you to sit on the sidelines in the last season and then tell yourself, you're not going to sit on the sidelines of life anymore. You're going to embrace it. You're going to take it. Whatever that means, you are going to be a star in your own life because at the end of the day, your actions will always follow your beliefs. Your belief in God, your belief in who he is and how big he is, if you believe that he can do exceedingly abundantly and beyond anything that we can think or do as I do, you'll fully embrace life. You'll fully embrace that job, that new challenge, that new baby, that, that new wife if you're newly married. You'll fully embrace everything that God has for you with the belief that nobody stops me. I'm my own opponent. And with God at the helm, directing my steps, I can do anything. The Bible says that we have the we have the desires of our heart, and he plans our steps. So let God step forward for you and plan your steps. I'm telling you, it's better when you let him into your life. I love you all, and have a great day. Enjoy the, I hope you enjoyed the podcast.